Romans chapter 1. Bless you, Jeff. We're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. And uh, my, what a great book it is. What great truths God has recorded us in his, in his blessed word. And you know, when I read and study the Bible, one of the things that I marvel at is how God is able to put so much in so few words. But they tell me that that's what we, when, when, that is when wisdom is really manifest, when you say a lot by saying a little. How wonderful. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, read down through and include verse 4. And I don't think we'll get that far, but we'll see. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel, which, and this is in parentheses, he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. We're still looking at the salutation of the Apostle Paul, who for many years, and I, I, I even believe from the very day that he was, he was speaking with Ananias, when Ananias, the third day after his conversion on the road to Damascus, was sent by God to come to talk to him and to tell him what a chosen vessel that he was, what he was going to do in preaching the gospels to the gospel to kings and priests. And uh, uh, when he told him that, I believe at that moment, Paul had a desire to carry the gospel to Rome. And we're going to find more about that out in, uh, in, this, first, in this first chapter. We look to see how Paul, in verse 1, introduced himself to the people at Rome. He had never been there. He knew some folks that were a part of the church of Rome, but they didn't know him. They had heard of him, no doubt. They had heard of his conversion. They heard of what he was before Christ and then after Christ met him. We even talked, had a great discussion last week on how Paul got the name Paul, and we learned that that was his Roman name. And I, I doubt now that I'll ever forget that. And I appreciated that. That was good. That was good for me. But he was a new man. And, he, and friend, that's what Jesus does. He makes us all new. And we found that when God saved him, he referred to himself above all things that he was a servant. We don't find too many people like that today. They want to promote themselves and put all their letters before their name, at the end of their name, around their name. But Paul said the most important thing to me is I'm a bondservant of the Lord. He said he was, he was an apostle and he was also separated unto the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, we, we could stay right there with that word separation and teach on ecclesiastical separation, teach on personal separation for three or four weeks and not exhaust it. And friend, we're living in a time when people that name the name of Christ ought to come out from among the world. I'm telling you, we're, we're knee-deep things with people making a profession of faith who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. It's strange. Jude even said that they would turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. But here we find him. He said he was separated under the gospel of God. That's the first time of how many times? 30 um, or 13 times that the gospel is mentioned. And uh, we'll see it mentioned here in just a in just a little while. He said, the gospel of God now, it joins with verse 2, and in parentheses, he writes, which he had promised afore by his prophets 
in the Holy Scriptures. Let me ask you all a simple question before we delve into that verse just a little bit. What are parentheses or why are parentheses used in literature? What do they denote? Not this one. When, when it's in italicized, that's when, that's okay. It does separate something out, but it has another meaning that's pretty significant. It can be removed without changing the subject of the thought that's being dealt with. It's generally added for, like David was going for, I think, for clarification or explanation. But when something is put in parentheses, bracketed off, it is good information, it is inspired, but it can be removed and would never hurt what Paul uh, was explaining. But look what he said here. Have you ever given this verse much thought? Let, just, just for instance, look what he said at the last part of verse 2. He, he referred to the Scriptures as holy. Hey, everybody, they are. I, I mean to tell you, that it, have you ever done a study on how the Word of God defines or describes the Scriptures itself? How it refers to the Word of God. It's a fruitful study. It's a, it's a study that will bless you. You don't have to dig real hard, get your good concordance and go through it. It'll be a good investment of time. But listen to what Paul said. He said, now look. He said, I've been separated under the gospel. That's my whole life. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now he preached other things. He, he not only founded churches, he not only laid the foundation, but he built them. I mean, he added to. When you look at the church of Thessalonica, and we have that study, if you remember, he was three weeks at Thessalonica. He did a Herculean task, spiritually speaking. He, he founded a church, and then he matured the people in there by, by speaking to them the great doctrines of the Word of God. He didn't want to let them be babies. He didn't want to keep them on the milk. He moved them rather quickly, actually, to the meat of the gospel and how wonderful that is. And look at what Paul said, though, about the gospel, which he had promised to by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Do you know what Paul was saying? He said, look, this isn't the first time that the gospel in the New Testament, he said, this isn't the first time when you come to the New Testament, I'll, I'll be able to say it right in a minute if I keep thinking, that it was mentioned in the Word of God. Did you all know that the gospel was mentioned uh, in the Old Testament? Many times, like Bill said. Now, the question I've got for you all, ask you all this last week, where do we find references or ideas that the message of the gospel, which is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says twice, where do we find those kind of ideas in the Old Testament? Well, Isaiah, be a little more specific. Isaiah's a pretty big book. 53. What's in chapter 53? We have, we have a picture of the suffering saint, the suffering servant, actually, of Jesus Christ. Let's go there and read a couple of verses to that. I mean, it's very, very fruitful. And I'll tell you, friend, a lot of, a lot of Jews, really, especially the Orthodox Jews, don't have an understanding of what Isaiah was writing about. They, they look at this, those of them that do look at this passage, 
They look at it as the, a nation suffering, not as an individual uh, suffering. Now, there are 12 verses to this passage. It would not take us long to read. But let me, let me give you just at least a couple of verses taken out of this that, that we can kind of see a definite reference to the cross uh, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, if you will, and, and um, well, let, let's, let's look at verses 3, 4, and maybe 6. He is, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet... We did esteem him smit, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And this is one of my favorite verses. If you don't have it memorized, I challenge you to. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we healed spiritually, not physically. Not physically. This has nothing to do with physical healing. Now, I know it's applied that way. I know people talk about it. They'll testify it. They'll claim it. But no, no, friend, that's not what he's talking about. Bill? Oh, yes, for our sins. That's exactly right. Look at, look at what he said in verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord meaning God, had laid upon Him, meaning Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. That's what Peter says about what happened to Jesus on the cross. He bare our sins or bore our sins on the cross. So here in Isaiah 53, we, we have as clear a picture of the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross when He became uh, not only my substitute, but He came as me when He died on the cross. He not only died for me, but as me. Let's get a couple of more verses. Listen to what he said in verse uh, of 9 and 10. He said, He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Y'all remember a man by the name of uh, um, Joseph of Arimathea? This, this grave that was etched out in limestone was a rich man's, was a rich man's tomb. And... Uh, he said, he had, he said, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By, knowledge, by, by the, his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their Iniquities. Beautiful, is it not? Somebody give us another passage. Refer to some other scripture that pictures Jesus Christ and the death, burial, the resurrection. How about Psalm 22? Turn there really quick. Psalm 22. I'm not going not to read anything out of Psalm 16, but so does that passage of scripture. But look at a couple of things that are so specific in Psalm 22. It begins in verse 1 with a passage of Scripture we're all familiar with that was cried out by Jesus when He was on the cross. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Remember that? Listen to what He goes on to say. Um, and boy, I want to read the whole thing, but I will not. Look at verse 12. 
Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. They have gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening wool, uh, ravening, as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out, out of joint. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the pain? Man, I'm telling you, folks. He said, my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. He said, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And I tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Do you all know That statement in the latter part of verse 16, they pierce my hands and my feet, is phenomenal. Somebody tell the class why. It's what happened, but go more. Branch out, explain. Jews didn't crucify their criminals. How did they deal with a capital crime? They stoned them. That's exactly what they did. They stoned them. But this is a picture of how Jesus was going to die. And when you begin to think about it, you you remember I I, I preached sometime back, I even mentioned a couple of weeks ago, how that the verse in Hebrews where it says, A body thou hast prepared me. You remember that? Remember I gave you the illustration of uh, when we were studying on on the servant uh, here back in Exodus 21, when a servant indebted himself to another Jew that that when it come time for his debt was paid and his uh, uh, contract was fulfilled, if he wanted to stay with his, with his uh, master that he indentured himself to, all he had to do was go to the door and have his ear pierced. Look, are you all seeing this? They pierced my hands and my feet. And I've heard preachers say, I've told you all this, preachers say some of the silliest things sometimes. You all know that. I'm guilty of that, so I'm not throwing everybody else under the bus. I heard preachers say it didn't matter how Jesus died as long as he died. I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. Anybody else? How about about Exodus 12? Y'all know what Exodus 12 is about, don't you? It's about the Passover, the night that the Passover feast was instituted, the night that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And if you remember, Paul said in the book of what is it? Is First Corinthians five or six? He said, "Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us." When was Jesus crucified? What, what, uh, what feast of Israel uh, prophesied of and pointed to Christ dying as a lamb? The Passover. The Passover. I don't know about y'all, but when I do things like this, going to the Old Testament and, and reflecting back and seeing it tie in with the New Testament, my faith increases. It, it, just, it just causes something to bubble up in me. In chapter 12, and I'm not, I'm not going to read much of it, but I'm going to highlight something. I want you to look at the progression of this. If y'all remember, God told Moses, tell the children of Israel on the 10th day of the first month, which is, and I can't remember the, uh, the date, it, and I know it's April, but I can't remember the Hebrew name. What is it? I still can't hear you. 
Abib. It may be without, I, but that, I'll say yes, John, because I don't know any better right now. Uh, but, but the first day of the month, they had, two, they had two new years. They had a spiritual new year and also a calendar new year. So they had two years. And this starts the spiritual new year. He said, this is, this is a new beginning for you in essence. He said, on the 10th day of the month, you get you a lamb. It's got to be a male. It's got to be without spot and without blemish. You put it up and you watch it for three days. How long was Jesus, how long was Jesus uh, in public ministry? Three years, was he not? Three and a half years. He lived on planet earth roughly 33 and a half years. That's the accepted length of time. And he was in public ministry three and a half years after being inaugurated into that ministry by John and the baptism in the river of Jordan. So there's so much correlation to the Word of God. It's just, it's just a phenomenal thing. He said, do you watch that thing? And he said on the evening, on the evening of the 14th, which is the day before the 15th and two days before the 16th, now, I know that doesn't sound like much, but the 16th, there was another feast that started. It was the Feast of, of, uh, of First Fruits. It was the morrow after the Sabbath or Sunday, the day after Saturday. That's when they were to pick the first fruits that, that, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the barley that had grown in the field. And they were to tie it together. And on the morrow after the Sabbath, the morning after the Sabbath, they were to go uh, before the tabernacle and then the temple and raise it up and lift it up as a wave offering. It's a picture of the resurrection. I'm telling you, there's so much beauty to this. But look, I, I want to I I highlight something. Verse 2, this shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation, saying in the tenth day of this month they shall take to them, now watch this, a lamb according to the house of their fathers. And if the household be too little for the lamb. Y'all see that? Watch this now. Look at verse 5. Your lamb. Isn't that beautiful, friend? Do you know what? Do y'all see the progression of that? Do y'all see how personal this needs to be to me and you? I'm not going to spend any more time on that. I'll just let the Holy Spirit take you through that. But it's absolutely beautiful. How about the book of Leviticus? Turn, turn really quick. People, I hear people say, man, I don't, I don't like Leviticus. I, I, it just repeats itself. Well, it does. You'll say, I just read that. Well, God wants us to read it again or he wouldn't have had it inspired to be written. I mean, I mean it, he, he's bearing down on something. Now, as you're all turning to chapter 1, how many different feasts are we introduced to in the first six chapters of the book of Leviticus? Five, my sister-in-law says, and she is right. Does anybody know what they are? We're going to find out. I do, and I don't want to sound like I'm boasting, but I've been studying too, so what can I say? But, but and now look, look at this. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 25, 26, 27, somewhere along through there, that he died. Now let's see, I'm about to shout right here. Once in the end of the world. One time Jesus died, and he, his death and his life, his sacrifice, so many things we say that were so effective and so efficient 
that it once for all eternally satisfied God and all of His claims that He had in order to redeem me and you that are sinners. All right? He satisfied God's claim and He met all of our needs. Those of us that needed a righteousness we could not produce by ourselves. And it took... It took no less than five different sacrifices in the Old Testament that were repeated morning and evening, day in and day out, year in and year out, month in and month out, uh, feast day after feast day. It took all kinds of the blood of bulls and goats to typify and picture one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But no wonder when you get to the New Testament... The Word of God talks about how preeminent He is. How superior He is. No wonder it says, after He had done this, He sat down in the holiest and not made with hands. What does it mean when you get through working and you sit down? down? What does that mean? You're done. That's exactly right. There was no seat outside of the mercy seat in either the tabernacle or the temple. Why? No place to sit down. Why? There was, there, there was no need, but why? Somebody has said it, I heard it. Their work was never done. Their work was never done. When they offered the lamb in the morning, they couldn't stop. They couldn't say, well, I'm done. They had to get ready for the eating sacrifice, which was another lamb. Isn't that amazing? See, I want to emphasize again. But the Bible says once in the end of the world, one sacrifice completely satisfied God. Now, Sharon Wright, when she said there were five sacrifices that pointed to Christ, that typified Him, and pictured Him, what's the number five? Why do we, why do we think grace is, uh, is the number? Why do we think five is the number of grace to represent? Anybody you ever thought about? There's a reason. Let me give you one. All right? One I think it's one of the most beautiful. Y'all remember when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees? He was a pagan. His daddy was a high priest. He was in the place to become the next high priest. I mean, he worshipped the gods before the flood. I mean, I mean, I mean, the Bible tells us that in the book of Joshua. Y'all know his name was Abram. A-B-R-A-M. What did God change his name to? Have you ever counted it up? It is the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. A-B-R-A-H-A-M. Isn't that amazing? I mean to tell you, friend, listen, God knows what He's doing uh, when He tries to tell us things. But in Leviticus chapter 1, we run into the burnt offering. That offering was consumed by fire. Now I have read and if somebody's got a passage of Scripture that can help me on this, I mean this. I'd really like to have it. I've read that uh, everything on that animal but the hide was burned. I always thought that all of it was consumed. Both, both its, its intestines, its bowels, its, its entrails, all of, it, all of its, uh, all of its uh, organs plus, you know, the meaty side of it along with, with the uh, along with along with the fat. Now, we got a couple of granddaughters that they don't want any fat on their steak. Now, they'll eat a steak every day in the week. 
They don't want any fat on it. Man, I tell them, y'all don't know what you're missing. I said, God loved burnt fat. Man, that's some of the sweetest stuff there is on a piece of meat. And if y'all are not eating it, you don't know what. Am I right, Steve Crow, or not? I mean, if you can't eat the middle part of that charred fat, chew the outside of it. Man, it is sweet. as. But anyway, I'm, I'm regressing. because I'm not eating dinner yet, so what can I say? But, but anyway, it was, it was to be totally consumed by God. The other sacrifices were to be shared by man and God. They were to have fellowship with Him. It was also offered, part of the offering was to pay the priest for the work that they were doing. But a burnt sacrifice was wholly consumed on the fire by God. The second sacrifice is a non-meat offering, although it is called a meat offering. What is that, by the way, in chapter 2? It is grain, yeah, it is grain. And it, it was to be offered uh, with every sacrifice. It was, and once you begin to look at it, I mean, I mean, different things. It was to be bacon. It was to be fried. It was to have incense mixed in it. It was to have incense poured upon it. And when you begin to look at it, it talks about Christ in His purity and in His humanity, how even He was, how perfect He was. The burnt offering... The meal offering plus the next one in chapter 3 is the peace offering. These are referred to as a sweet savor offering. And I'll tell you why in a minute. A peace offering. How wonderful this is. Uh, this, this speaks of, of fellowship. This, this sacrifice was voluntarily given. It's also, it also relates to thanksgiving as well as uh, I already said, fellowship, did I not? And then we have in chapter 4, the sin offering. This is the first of two that is referred to in the Word of God as a non-sweet offering. And we can, we can figure that out. We can figure that out. I mean, we're talking about a peace offering, it's talking about fellowships, talking about, uh, talking about thanksgiving. That, that's sweet. That's sweet between the Lord. That's sweet between the giver who wants to relate in fellowship with the Lord. But when we're dealing with sin, do you know what? We ought to be grieved. Somebody say amen. I don't think we're grieved enough in America in the churches of Jesus Christ about our sins. I don't think we're real disturbed about our sins. I, I'm working on a message, and I don't often give my messages away out of the book of Gen, J, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 3. Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, told the nation that they had a whore's forehead. I'm going to preach on it. If that doesn't typify and picture America, do y'all know we've gotten to the place that we can't blush? And do y'all know God built within us that ability Yea, I'm going to say a need to blush. Just for the record, I'm smarter than what I look. All right, all right. the sin offering, it had to do with, with atonement. It was the work that Christ did for the sinner. The priest offered sin or a sin offering for his sin. The people offered it. They offered it for the congregation. A king had to offer it. No one was exempt from offering when it was necessary. 
a sin offering. And the last one is the trespass offering. When mankind infringed against the boundaries God has set up, like Adam and Eve did, they infringed, don't touch, don't eat of the tree, for in the day that you do, you'll surely die. They breached the boundaries, hence they trespassed. When, when man breaches the boundaries God has set up for us, or when we breach the boundaries of mankind. Do y'all know everybody in here is a, has a personal space? Do y'all know that? Do you ever get around somebody and, and uh, um, they, they get too close to you and you feel yourself, you know, kind of backing up? Yours may be closer in proximity than others or farther away. I, I love Michael Smith, okay? I've told him about this. But Mike likes to get right in your face. And I say, Michael, hang on. I love him to death. But he invades my personal space. So a lot of times, if we're not careful, friend, we'll, we'll sin. We'll sin against a brother and sister in Christ. And in those days, a ram was to be offered. It was to be offered as an atonement. And uh, uh, we can, like I say, transgress either against God or man. A couple more. Time's about out. Uh, anybody else got any? Have you thought any while, while I've been talking? What was it? Oh, yeah, Jesus was. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. In his one offering, he offered himself to cover all of these sacrifices. It's through him that God's demands are met. It's through him that our sins are atoned for. It's through him we have fellowship. It's through him we have the peace of God. It's through him, friend, through him all the way. So it, it, it's beautiful. Two other places, maybe just one. Turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 21, very quickly. I mentioned this in a message not too long ago. Matter of fact, I mentioned it Sunday morning, pretty sure. This is, this is about the march of Israel when they got to a place, and once again, they murmured on God. And God sent them serpents, flying serpents, that bit them, and the bite, according to what scholars have taught me and theologians have, have enabled me to understand and believe, that the bite uh, caused an excruciating burning sensation. And it meant death. Many people died. And if you remember, if you remember, they went to Moses. Moses interceded to God, and God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an image of the very thing that caused the problem and put it on a pole. Now, the great difference, I don't know if you've ever studied this out or not, but it's shouting ground. The image on the pole possessed no poison like the snakes on the ground. Y'all wake up about 3 o'clock in the morning, y'all start shouting over that one. Jesus, listen, he knew no sin, he did no sin, he had no sin. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. When He was crucified, He died not because He had sinned. He died because He was dying for the sinner. I'm telling you, it's beautiful. So here in a wilderness journey, because the children of Israel murmured, God gives us possibly the most beautiful picture of the cross of Calvary. And, and all, y'all know all those, all those people had to do when they were bitten? Can anybody tell me, do you remember? What were they to do? Look to live. 
Can you all imagine what was going on in that camp? I don't know about you, Steve, but I'm, I'm not going to look at that thing until I can figure it out. Now, there's got to be more to it just to look. That is the silliest thing I've ever heard. So, till I understand it, buddy, I'll just stay with my pain. Isn't that the way a lot of people do about Calvary? I mean, could you imagine the conversation that was going on? That's too simple. It's got to be, there's got to be more to it. It just, that is just too simple. Let me give you one more, if I may. And, I, and somebody help me find this one because my, my memory, I can't pull it out. It is. Thank you, Bill. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. If, if I would have been trying to figure out, you know, what would be a good symbol of it, as much as I hate snakes, I'd have never agreed to that one. I, I know it is, but I, I don't know. So somebody help me find this. It's in the book of Numbers, and this has to do with Aaron's rod that budded. Chapter 16, is that where it's at? Somebody find it while I'm explaining it. This is probably the greatest picture of the resurrection that I know anywhere in the Old Testament. Y'all remember Aaron's rod? It's the same rod, I believe, that Moses used to touch the water in Egypt and it turned red. It's the same rod, I believe, that he raised over the Red Sea and it parted. It's the same rod that they had had. This thing, what I'm trying to emphasize, it was seasoned. 17, I was a chapter off, chapter 17 of the book of Numbers. Well, after the rebellion of Korah, God, there, there was mummering again after the earth opened up and swallowed uh, Korah and some of the other men. There was mummering again in the camp over Moses and, and Aaron, maybe taking too much upon them and and uh, God said, look, I'm going, to put, I'm going to put an end to this once and for all. I'm going to make sure that everybody knows who I've chosen for this office of priesthood coming before me to represent the people. That's what the priest does. He represents the people before God. A prophet represents God before the people. And you know what God told Moses? He said, you tell the children of Israel to bring, you tell them to bring rods. And rods were important back then. They, they had the history a lot of times of their tribe engraved in them, I have been told. I mean, it was a work of art many times, but it meant something. You lay them up before the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, and on the morrow, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to end this mummering bit. I'm going to let people know without a shadow of a doubt who I have chosen as the priest for the priesthood in the nation of Israel. They went to bed, got up the next morning. There was only one of those rods that had changed. It was Aaron's rod. It, it had bloomed and blossomed and bore almonds overnight. Boy, you talking about sealing something. You talking about putting the tongue to silence. He did. And that goes along with what we're going to study in the next two verses, especially in verse 4, because God once for all through the spirit of holiness, declared Christ to be the Son of God by the resurrection. Questions, comments while Jerry's coming? Come on. Great point. All right, let's stand, let's sing. Hope you got something out of the lesson tonight.